All right, welcome everybody to Legal Tech Week for September 25th, 2020. This is Bob Ambrogi. I am the, uh, the uh, I write the blog, who am I? <laughs> I write the blog, <laughs> what the heck am I? Where am I? I write the blog Law Sites and I have the uh, podcast Law Next. Uh, and uh, and there's Victoria just logging on. Hey, sorry. Well, that's okay, we're just, we're just starting. So uh, <laughs> since you just logged on, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey guys, my name is Victoria Hutchins. I'm a reporter with Legal Tech News, where I cover cybersecurity and the intersection of law and technology. All right, and uh, Caroline, welcome back. It's been a while since we've seen you. Thank you. Yeah, I've been Aaron. Uh, yeah, hi, Caroline Hill, editor and chief of Legal IT Insider. Nice to be back. Yeah, and uh, Nikki. My name is Nikki Black. I am the legal technology evangelist with my case practice management software. I write regular columns for the ABA Journal, Above the Law, the Daily Record, the My Case Blog, and I also write for other outlets. <laughs> uh, Molly. Hi, I'm Molly McDonough. I am a former editor and publisher of the ABA Journal and working on uh, content development and media strategy based in the Chicago area. And last but never least, Joe. Hey, uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law uh, and the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast, and uh, welcome to the outdoors on what might be the last uh, decently warm day for a while. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a gorgeous day here in the Northeast. I don't know about where uh-huh. everybody else is, but uh, it's just a perfect a perfect day. Of course, I'm sitting in my office, but. Um, well, we're, we're very glad that Victoria showed up because most of the stories we want to talk about this week are ones that she wrote. <laughs> uh, not, not that we've been slacking off, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of good stories from Victoria this week. But um, uh, I, I, I thought we might want to just start with the, uh, the kind of maybe the latest news, which is this uh, acquisition of, of, uh, uh, of, of Rocket Matter, yet another uh, practice management company getting acquired. Um, and uh, I thought it was interesting for, uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that it, it also happened uh, in, in a week earlier, uh, uh, earlier this week, uh, this group ASG Legal Tech had acquired Headnote, which is a payment processing platform. Um, and, and these are both examples of um, private equity firms acquiring several different companies in a, in a space that are related to each other, but not overlapping, um, and then creating a new company around those different companies. Um, and uh, from what I understand, I mean, with ASG, they had acquired, you know, Practice Panther and Maris Case and Headnote and uh, um, uh, the third one I'm blanking on right now. And they've created a company. Yeah, thank you. And they've created a company around that. And uh, now with this latest acquisition, um, they're really creating a company uh, focused more broadly on on the professional services market, uh, which I think is an interesting interesting move. Um, and uh, from what I understand, I've only been able to talk to Larry Port briefly about this since since this has all happened. But I mean, Larry says that the companies will remain distinct companies with their distinct management structures in place and pretty much operate business as usual. But of course they hope to have, you know, efficiencies and and other, uh, other things that develop out of this. But uh, 
uh, you know, and I also just wonder whether this is somehow reflects, I don't know, maturing of the practice man, because mm-hmm. this all happens, you know, two weeks after my case, yes. uh, got acquired, um, and, uh, uh, Nikki's now broadcasting from her new mansion in, in, uh, outside Rochester, New York. <laughs> uh, but, Not true. Uh, <laughs> well, the really, think, really nice bookcases though. I, yeah. Do you want me to chip in on that one? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think, yeah. So I think it's interesting. So we've obviously seen this, um, there's HG for example, is that, you know, there's, there's, there's companies that have been doing this, you know, private equity companies, but, but not all that many. And this, what's interesting to me is this is a new, I think I described it as a new heads up, new kid on the block type thing. And, and um, so they, you know, and not surprisingly, they are sweeping up billing um, and they're trying to capitalize on this trend towards digitization, which obviously has been accelerated during COVID um, as people realize that paper, paper billing processes, which most law firms and professional services firms still use are just not sustainable given the continuing lockdown um so i think they're kind of realizing that obviously there's a, a definite opportunity um and also they i liked the way that they described it as they want to create a vertical they're trying to create a vertical market which and i had to just double check with myself <laughs> what the content you know so obviously they're trying to and the way i think that i described it to myself was that the net they're trying to create the netflix of legal so what they're trying to do is sort of bring um billing you know as you said payments all under one roof and just really automate help firms and professional it's not just law firms but professional service firms automate the whole lot which obviously it should it should be it's not it's not not rocket science um but yeah it's interesting that there's a new private equity to me the interesting thing apart from obviously the fact that rocket meta has been acquired which is big news in itself they've created this new company entirely. So it's Lightyear Capital has created this new company entirely. I think they're called ProSolve, ProfitSolve. Um, and I think what I, li- what I like what they are, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. At the same time, I, I think we know from history, from experience that not all private equity driven um, initiatives are by their, you know, by necessity going to be successful. They need to really understand the context of the market in which they're operating. Um, and they, and I just, you know, um, I just, I just would be interested to see how they develop and, and, you know, it's quite interesting. They're not just focusing on legal, it's professional services. They talked about engineering companies and I just, th- there was a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, right. lot, there's a yeah. lot going on. Some of it made me feel a bit like, Oh, I don't know. There's, it's great time, great, you know, you can see it's very, um, makes a lot of sense, but that, are, are they going to give great customer service? Are they going to understand the market in which they operate? I had a lot of questions. Yeah, as do a lot of people, I think. Yes, I do. Although Larry, I mean, you spoke to Larry, I spoke to, I emailed Larry, he obviously seems quite happy. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm but sure. he's staying on, he told you he's staying on, right? At, at That's Rock what he told Center. me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I have a question they, they always that. say that at the beginning, but right. That's yeah. what I was going to say. They always say that in the beginning and then, yeah. um, they, then something happens where they get fed up yeah. or, you know, um, yeah. So I, I was just curious if anybody has a, a pool. <laughs> <laughs> I guess but they might be locked in. I don't know, but, um, yeah because there are three companies right so there's there's rocket there's rocket matter and then two others that i didn't know time solve, time uh, solve. The, other one I don't, the other one i was not aware of it was outside of, the other one was out sort of outside of legal uh, but it was wasn't a, it I think accounting a, a, accounting for yeah, yeah. Accounting, yeah accounting was the vertical it was in yeah yeah 
So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I remember, you know, when, when uh, Mark Britton sold Avo and told everybody, I'm going to be here for the long haul, uh, you know, with the new owners. And uh, what was it? Two months later, he was out of there, I think. So. Yeah. And then there was yeah. Total Attorneys. Everyone remembers right. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with that Bain legal yeah. uh, takeover, but, yeah. or Bain Capital. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I know I heard uh, from, from some people, somebody who's, might even be on, in our audience today or sometimes in our audience last, I got an email last night saying, does this mean, you know, they're just going to suck the life out of these companies and, and uh, drain them for what they can and then get rid of them. And, you know, I don't, that sometimes, I mean, I think that's more a, a kind of a VC model than a, than a mm. PE model. And, and I think it, dep- it depends a lot on who the, who the uh, private equity firm is. And, uh, you know, I, I think, generally they want they do want to make money and build businesses so uh yeah they they seem to be trying to i mean yeah no who knows but um they seem to be trying to combine make you know fully automated fully efficient built-in billing solutions um so that they don't need to do any kind of paper so they bring it all you know take which which you know if Yeah, I mean, if, if it, it seems it makes it's like a kind of no-brainer, isn't it? Really? Well, I think um, it is. I, I mean, but, I think the, the ASG Legal Tech people did a good job. Have, have a yeah. potential to do a good job with with acquiring Headnote because now they've got a, a, you know, they can integrate a payments processor into all of their separate products, but still yeah. have the standalone product that they can offer on the market. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, and that's a similar to the to the simple citizen acquisition too. You know, it's it's kind of leveraging that that technology and that process for you know for a larger firm approach instead of the the business to consumer approach, I mean, direct to consumer approach that Simple Citizen started with. So I think that's that's kind of that's interesting too. Yeah, um, I haven't talked to them yet. Actually, I've, I've scheduled to talk to them next week, but. Uh... So I don't know that much about that deal yet. But but I think, again, you know, I think whoever was talking to you, Bob, was asking about stripping. I mean, I think a lot of it will come, you, you, I think it's hard, you mustn't underestimate the consumer care side of things. Like these things need, you know, people still need to feel, you know, they could get good service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, we, I don't, I mean, this is an unknown entity. It's a brand new company. So I guess we can't, it's not, not like it, but profits of. So I guess yeah. we can't, you know, be, yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah. We should speak to the Rocket Matter customers, find out what they think. Yeah. I mean, you like to think, I mean, I, you know, I, I've known Larry pretty much since he started it way back. Him and Ariel, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers Ariel, it was his co-founder way back when. But, uh, you know, um, I, I feel like, he, he, I, knowing him, I feel like he probably feels pretty confident about what this these new owners are going to do with the company. Because this is really, it's his baby and uh, he's cared a lot about it. And he's cared a lot about, I think he's cared a lot about his customers over the years. And, and uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Um, so... Uh, of of Victoria of, of all you had so many good stories this week. Uh, any that uh, you particularly wanted to talk about uh, or you're muted. Oh, you're on mute. Sorry about that, guys. Um, yeah, whatever stories. I know we talked about in the emails earlier about like stories you guys would like to cover. We can get to the the, the Deloitte story I had was from last week, so it isn't really fresh. But whatever story that you guys want to talk about, I'm yeah. Here. The naming one was kind of interesting. I thought, but. 
Yeah, the naming so um, naming article where I wrote about what does it take? How do um, legal tech companies decide? How do legal tech companies decide to name their company a particular name? And that article really stemmed from, I've been writing about legal tech news since 2018. And some of the legal tech names, they're like nice verbs. Some of the names are like verbs, one word verbs, and they don't really say like elevate, reveal, those types of names, disco. You know, you don't necessarily think of legal tech. And for me, kind of doing my research, um, for when I was writing about those companies, when I would put those names into Google search, I would get a bunch of pages that weren't related to the legal tech companies. And usually I would just write legal or services and then the, the website will pop up first. And I just kind of thought for a legal tech company, how do you, why do they pick those names that can be associated with just a random word and, and, and aren't associated with legal? And kind of speaking, I spoke to Elevate, um, Liam Brown, CEO, um, about that. And he said he wanted kind of like that broad wording for his company because for Elevate, it could mean like elevating legal services and not just saying like we provide technology services, but also consulting, um, a workflow um, consultation. And of course they provide technology as well. So for him, it worked. And he talked about earlier, he, um, he founded um, Integron and he said first, it was just called IMS and no one can remember that. And it would be on like page 30 of a Google research. Um, research and then he said, okay, we'll give it the name Interground, which hopefully I'm pronouncing correctly, but he found a lot of people actually couldn't pronounce the name correctly. So he was like, okay, after that whole thing, he did think about like, I want to, I think that kind of motivated him to say like, hey, you know, I want to look at a name that's a little bit more to the point. It maybe won't be associated with legal, but it's kind of like a word that makes you think like, okay, they're going to help me in my company. It's kind of like innovation. And when I spoke to legal innovators, um, the co-CEO, co Brian Parker, he said that they specifically wanted legal in a title because he said for the um, legal professional, when they want to know right away, are you friend or foe? And he just kind of want, he felt <laughs> legal innovator that said like, hey, we're helping you. And he even revealed kind of like he thought about um, naming the putting the word disruptor in the company's name, but they thought that may turn off law, um, law firms or lawyers that may say, hey, are you trying to take work from me? Are you like the robots that are coming here to take my job away or anything? So it's kind of like that um, balancing act of, I need something that sticks out, but do I make it something that's legal specific or do I keep it kind of vague? And it's kind of like, you have to go through that. And I always wonder like Google searches and people just so when I spoke to a legal marketer, she just said, hey, you know, they'll just put in whatever the name of the company is and then legal and it shouldn't be too much of an issue you just have to build up the branding yeah yeah I, I, go ahead no no you go ahead you go ahead. well so i i was just going to say i um, i had a side conversation on linkedin about this um uh, with chase herzl from um now legal zoom and uh and i started thinking about all the company one of his comments was that uh, they, he he thinks that um, the good naming convention is it, when you can identify the problem in your name. And I yeah. started thinking about the problem and solution and some of those those good names like LegalZoom or FastCase yeah. or, you know, where you kind of know what they do by their name somewhat, yeah. at least, um, or it fits their model. Uh, so I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. But um, yeah. but then there are a lot of, of companies that just I scratch my head. So, 
I, I just don't. <laughs> I have no idea what they do um, by their name or sometimes their landing page and company yeah. description. But it drives me mad that the, the thing you were saying, Victoria, about the generic name, I just cannot yeah. understand. If I was naming, and I feel like all startups ought to be aware of this, that if I was naming my company, I would make it so that it was easy because so many names, like all of the names you described, so Elevate, Disco, et cetera, they're all just generic. And actually, until they develop, you know, I know maybe you could put legal in, but there are so many times that I've gone to search for something and it's actually really difficult to, to find. And I think that, I mean, I, I haven't really thought so much, Molly, about, um, I suppose it should really do what it what, what the company does. I suppose the name should mean something. But for example, on last Friday, I interviewed um, Adrian Kamara from Athenian, which is spelled with a double N. And it's simple. That's a simple thing, which means that actually it's not, it's quite easy to discover, right? So, and yeah. I, I'm not sure what that probably doesn't, that doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but it's a name that it, you can find, right? So from a branding perspective, I feel like companies should have a name that it's easy to find. That's quite unique. Yeah. And I definitely, I reached out to Cleo, but we weren't able to connect before my deadline, but like Cleo, like that name, I wanted to kind of know like, what's the origin of it? I've never heard of a Cleo. Like I kind of thought a clean, what's it? Clean Ang from uh, Star Trek, which I probably mispronounced, but kind of like that. And, but it's kind of like, it's unique. Klingon. Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah quite, it's just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to create something new and unique or do you want to make sure that you have law in your name, which to me kind of seems like that might be the boring way, but that lets you know automatically, even for non legal tech or law professionals that they're geared towards the legal industry. But I can see like how you maybe want like more vague, but like verb types of names. It seems like, okay, we're doing something. We're progressive perhaps, but what do you actually do? Challenge. Yeah. Oh no. It just the thing with the verbs is I think they're they're awesome branding names if you know what they are already. But if you're trying yeah. to discover something, it's it's almost impossible to find them. Um, like when I'm thinking of like great names in this space, I like case text. I know what it does. It, yeah. it does case text. That's it's right there in the title. Um, so I really appreciate those sorts of names. Disco actually have always thought, while it's not great from an SEO perspective because there's Discovery. other things called Disco, uh, but I, I get the logic of the name because it's like discover. Discovery. Oh, we dropped the. Oh, disc. Oh, like I. I, yeah. I mean, it's. It's. Cute, I never but... made that connection until you guys just oh. said that. I never understood <laughs> okay, why it was disco. It took me a little while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, never mind. So then funny. maybe it isn't all that clever. Uh, <laughs> if it took that long, it may not be that clever. Then. I just found on Cleo's support page, Cleo gets its name from Cleo, the Greek muse of history. Okay. <laughs> what well, is it? <laughs> well, I, I was I was thinking about that because Clio has has uh, really tried to um, extend the brand beyond legal too. Uh, so I could see a name a name like that um, where in in one of the ones I mentioned earlier, Simple Citizen was meant to be direct to consumer. Uh, so and LegalZoom was direct to consumer. So yeah. it's it, you know the, the naming you know I assume depends on your audience too. It, you know, you want right. to have something that's more um, closely related to what you do if you're going yeah. directly to a general consumer audience. Yeah, it, it's worth pointing out that there is, it's incredibly challenging to come up with any name that has legal or law or something in it that somebody isn't already using or hasn't already registered the domain name for or something these days. I mean, when I was starting my Law Next podcast, I wanted some name that 
I wanted a catchy name, but the suggested, you know, I don't know, innovate, like legal innovators. I don't know how they got that. That had to have been taken. I don't know. But uh, I just, I've been, uh, you know, my, my son who I work with and I just like labored over names and every name we came up with was taken or somebody had. And uh, I forget how we landed on Law Next, but it turned out it was available and I just went and bought it. <laughs> and uh, Well, it, it can be difficult with branding. I mean, there's a number of different issues. There's the choosing it um, when you're a small startup and you don't have a lot of time and energy to focus on that when you're trying to do all these other things. And especially when there's a crowded space, but then there's all these like post-choice issues, if you will, um, like Rocket Lawyer and Rocket Matter rolled out at similar times. And there was, all, was always sort of some confusion in the marketplace because their names were so familiar because they're both illegal and it was neither of their faults, you know, it was just such similar names. And then there are other issues, like sometimes companies, there's a company that sells sex toys that shares the name with a competitor that I won't share, but it's a newer company that's in the news all the time. You know, we get um, competitor, uh, you know, we learn news uh, updates, like about competitors, you know what I mean? And this constantly get, like, get like sex toys in my inbox. I'm like, <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> That's an unfortunate post-branding issue that they had no control over. <laughs> but, no. Or fortunate, depending on... <laughs> I have no polite observations about that at all. <laughs> but so sometimes there's just unfortunate things that happen too, like Rocket Matter, Rocket Lawyer, then someone else comes up with the company with okay. a product unrelated I, I, to yours. <laughs> I, did not, I did not briefly announce this morning that Rocket Lawyer had been bought. That definitely did not happen before I had a moment of absolute freaking horror. <laughs> Right? Even when you're in the space writing about it, sometimes there's confusion. Honest to God, I've got a block. I've got a block. It's not the first time I've done it. And it is, I don't know why. I mean, we check, we, we, we do, I just, I'm like, how, how did I put that? I put it in the title, put it in the title for a few seconds. And then it got automatically tweeted out. I had to go and delete every tweet. I was just literally nearly throwing up. It was just the absolute, because it, because it, I wrote it really early this morning, like five or something ridiculous. But my brain was that, obviously not awake. That was neither company's yeah. fault, right? Like oh, I feel like not. it came out at similar times and I don't know exactly when, but it's no one's fault, but it's just confusion. Mm. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. Well, but. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, Joe, I, oh, did you next- you oh. want to talk about? I know you have to. You might I, have to. I did. I didn't necessarily have anything to talk about. Uh, I wanted to talk about companies that sound <laughs> like sex toys. So, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So that that could be like a whole series on above the line. Yeah. <laughs> Can we collaborate on that article? All of <laughs> we'll all write a paragraph. <laughs> Law firms that sound like sex toys. Yeah. No. I, oh, yeah. Well, that's. Yeah, um, I, I've already I've already got like three in my head. Uh, but no, the uh, I, I really haven't done all that much uh, tech work this week. Uh, we are uh, th- maybe this will be your weekly uh, your weekly update on how the bar exam is going. Uh, not well. Uh, California has decided, and but this actually has a legal tech connection, which is that they've decided to stop answering their uh, helpline because too many things were coming in, so they just stopped answering. Uh, which is the sort of customer service commitment that you get from an organization that has a complete monopoly on things. Um, Joe, Joe, what are you hearing yeah. about redundancy? So, so because um, one of the things in, in a lot of my conversations about tech and, you know, money and all this kind of stuff, there's, um, there's a lot of conversations in the background about the, the people, the, the redundancies that are happening. And that's more your sort of, you know, field than, and I think that that is going to become in this, you know, in the next few months, a big, 
thing, right? Like, I mean, it already is. So, but in terms, and then in terms of how people are spending their money on tech or not, or what I don't know, like, it's just the whole thing dealing with work was coming up in my conversations about support stuff and workflow and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, no, I mean, absolutely. We're, we're not, um, unfortunately, we're not quite at a point where people are going to have to face those concerns uh, because mm. they're still working remotely. Um, but when people start coming home, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be a thing because you're now going to live in a world where you shake out how much, right now everyone's kind of operating in a world where, where both exist. We're yeah. all gonna be remote, but we assume you all come back. And then okay. when this ends, that's not going to be how most of these firms operate. And then what happens? Uh, yeah. Then they're going to have to face some hard questions about, do we really need this? Do we really need that? Mm. And it, it's going to be a long tail, I think, because people are locked into their leases and stuff. But I mean, the, any law firm that's coming up on their lease, I got to assume right now they're considering downsizing significantly, right? Because yeah. there's not really a good reason to have a full, especially if you're in New York. There's no, yeah. there's no excuse for New York Manhattan rent rentals when you don't need everyone to come in every day. So we're just going into lockdown part two. So um, this, well, it's not been called that. It's been called we're avoiding lockdown, but depending on which day you listen to and how tall you are and what you had for breakfast, like it's all like all these variations. <laughs> but, um, and I'm hearing that, you know, that the law firms in the UK are, um, they were slowly b b bringing people back into the office um, and obviously using, you know, mine 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 tech to sort of monitor who's coming and now that's a lot of them are just reversing that so canary wharf is starting to empty out um there are firms that what's really interesting is that there are firms that are now saying that they're kind of letting a few people they're kind of there's different ways of interpreting they're letting a few people stay in the office um because of mental health reasons that the biggest what's really interesting is that with the lockdown part one tech was the biggest thing and now with the lockdown part two mental health is coming up time and time again as, as well as productivity like how to you know, make sure that your staff are pro productive and also look after them. So, um, but I think it's going to, I think, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, what impact it has in terms of redundancies in, in the next few months, I think. Well, and I'm also hearing from, you know, for, from that, on, on that point, Caroline, the, the uh, number of, of parents who are just desperate to get uh, back into the office to get work done while their kids are home um, yeah. doing virtual school. Uh, but then, you know, how do you do the childcare? All of that comes up, but still, but, you know, at least being able to access an office and, yeah. and, um, and not have your three-year-old climbing all over you. Exactly. While you're, yeah. Exactly. And actually, do you know what, now they've got their systems in place, you know, there's, I was speaking to the CIO of a UK firm yesterday and um, they've got their, you know, they've got their approvals process in place. They've got their two meter distancing. They've got their desk wash system. You know, they can actually, allow people to come continue to it's not like this is new right and they can allow on you know within reason people to continue if they need to if they've got something that they're working on or they just need to have a break <laughs> um they can just allow them you know but I, I but then i am hearing of more sort of dramatic where some one of the big international firms i think is just in the uk they've just closed their offices again i don't know it's, just, it's gonna be interesting to see how it all shakes down oh bob i think you might be on mute Oh. All right. I, I can't hear Bob. 
Oh, God, I, can't I couldn't hear do this there. without our fearless leader. I, don't I couldn't hear anyone for a minute. I was like, my, my, something's died this end, right? <laughs> oh. Nope. Oh, he's still, still no Bob. No. Strange. Welcome to a legal talk show where we can't get our tech <laughs> to work. Anyway, over um. to Victoria. <laughs> Victoria, Victoria yeah. will now talk about What's one of the many, many stories, one of which is ALSPs. <laughs> yeah, ALSPs, which was actually a story um, pitched by Zach Warren, the editor-in-chief and Legal Tech News, who is like a panelist on this um, podcast, but he wasn't able to make it for this um early show. But this article was pretty much looking into does the size of an ALSP and really just like them staff that they have available, is that a very important, is headcount very important for a client when they're making decision of working with an ALSP? And of course, when it comes to like the more, um, uh, the large volume like document review e-discovery matters, that is something where you do need a lot of like bodies to work on. But um, when I spoke to Ed Son, um, who's the, um, who works at Factor, and I believe he was at EY beforehand, he said that headcount really fluctuates in ALSPs and that really it isn't um, all ALSPs. They have permanent full-time and flex workers, but it's really an ALSP's ability to have access to those pools of like lawyers and legal professionals for matters that really is important for clients and if they're going to work with them to make sure that that ALSP has the resources. Nikki, I think you're on mute. Oh. Oh, oh anything else? Um, uh, so that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about the. Um, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. Um, so, so I, I'm afraid, Victoria. I, I didn't. I didn't get. I haven't got that article. But um, so, um, were you looking at? So you're looking at it from the contract review and the discovery perspective. So f from the the wider perspective. Yeah, and we tried to, um, Stephanie was speaking with Factor, which they provide not just document, um, contract review, um, they also provide like uh, ne um, contract negotiation and uh, workflow yeah, yeah, as well, which that doesn't necessarily, I don't think, require a lot That's of... That's interesting. Oh, you're, you're on, you're on. I had to switch my audio input here. Can you hear me? You're back. You're yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So what's the verdict? So what's the verdict? So, so sorry, I was a bit distracted by the whole audio excitement. So, so yeah. and what, what was the, me, what was the verdict? So the verdict was that they, they, they are swung by the, the, the styles of the, the, it's the access to the um, lawyers and legal professionals, not necessarily that you have them on staff and they're on permanent payroll. That's that not necessarily, but just having access to, and especially for large international uh, clients, we, um, if you have access to those lawyers and legal professionals in different parts of the world, yeah. when you have like that um, requirements that data can't leave certain countries or certain jurisdictions or is in um, foreign languages that you have access, but not necessarily that you have them on staff at all time. Um, yeah, it makes sense. It makes well, sense. So Adriana's on, um, Linares is on here and she had a, a guest uh, recently on her new solo podcast that uh, from one of the co-founders of Law Clerk, and their company has just exploded in growth with number of matters, and they run a freelance attorney business, basically. Mm. Um, and that's it. and I, I thought it was interesting because it was exactly the type of thing that 
um, you know, is, is appealing uh, this, to smaller firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that on-demand lawyering, uh, being able to have the ability without having to um, cover the overhead and yeah. hire full time. And they're, they're apparently even um, adding fractional uh, associates uh, to the mix. So you can yeah. have, you know, a quarter of an associate. Um. <laughs> yeah. What, what's, um, I think it's a bit of a tangent, but what's really interesting um, is, um, so with often with the review side of things, if you're talking about your discovery review, so that was, that was, that was part of the, the yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can we get mad? So um, was that with um So obviously, previously there was a physicality to it. So there was a need for you know you 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 sort of have a whole bunch of people going into a room to do a review or within within discovery similar thing, but now because everything's that this they're being a, they're able to facilitate more remote e-discovery or more remote due diligence you know and actually COVID has accelerated that so so actually you know there's no need for either the, to be on staff or be them to be in the actual location which i think has been um quite sort of you know i think it's been quite big progress in terms of both quality and also opening up for people you know just you don't have to be in the city or whatever i don't know i, th- I thought that was because perhaps it's a bit of a tangent but i thought it's been quite interesting in terms of covid has m- meant that it's opened it up to um a wider pool of people yeah, and definitely, um, like, technology has really, like, allowed, like, and Ed, um, he mentioned in the article, like, mm. early, like, 2010s, you maybe had armies of lawyers working on very large, like, e-discovery matters. But now, like, um, e-discovery providers and the LSPs, they're using, like, predictive coding and machine learning. So, at least for that first pass review, you don't need all those lawyers or um, document reviewers to go in and to look at matter, um, to look at the um documents um so it's kind of i was assuming making a little bit more like time efficient because you have that first pass and then you put your lawyers or your document reviewers on there um so that's kind of um hampering the need to have a ton of lawyers or um document reviewers on staff or even need them resources especially if a client is, doesn't prefer to just have everything reviewed by a person so that's kind of calling down like the need for um ALSPs that have so much headcount, I was told, and a TransPerfect, um, he said, like, yeah, it's great to have, um, you know, a, um, a lot of people on staff, but I asked them, do you, are you seeing more of a need for, like, people um, that are experts in this technology? And he said, we're seeing more need for that because you need that technology to um, help the corporate legal department clients that you have to actually implement that technology. So he even said he's seeing more demand for the, the software and expert, um, expert um, experience on that, not really like the reviewers themselves. So did I miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> We're done the Victoria Hour, I think, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, well, we do we do that starting out. But. <laughs> I don't know what happened with my uh, headphones there, but maybe I just blew out my uh, little speaker I use for my podcasting. Um, Nikki, uh, we haven't heard from you much today. What did you What did you want to talk about? Well, the article that I thought sounded really interesting um, was from Law.com, but I unfortunately have. Uh, worked my way through my free subscriptions and I was like, I can only read the headline and the little excerpt, but that was enough to get the gist of it um, for purposes of what I'm interested in. It was this idea that um, in Texas, there's a, I don't think it's a commission. It was, um, uh, it was a, let me see. Um, 
essentially in Texas, they're recommending that they continue with um, uh, the, the judges like uh, Texas Judicial Council. The judges like um, virtual courts so much for certain um, types of appearances that they want to actually continue doing it post-COVID. And the Texas Judicial Council um, put forth a request to lawmakers to um, allow that to continue. And I just thought that that was super interesting because it's, um, it's, I, I, I think that if you had asked any of us in January, what is the likelihood that Texas is going to start recommending remote court appearances? Who, who here would have said anything above like 2%? Like, what's the likelihood that's going to happen? That's it's not a chance in hell, right? Like, I think we all would have said that. And yet here we are in September because of COVID and the judges are finding that certain, certain situations, um, maybe not necessarily jury trials or, um, uh, you know, bench trials, but for regular court appearances, it's more efficient for them. They have more control over everything. They can, uh, I'm guessing they may like the fact that they can counsel off sometimes, like literally cut them off <laughs> and not hear from them right. anymore. So right. they're finding that it's, uh, that they like it. And so you force them into the tech and they're actually finding it to be beneficial. And I think that's super exciting, but you know, geek that I am. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's also consistent with with something we talked about last week, which is this uh, is sort of a related vein about lawyers learning they love remote depositions, uh, and maybe they don't love them necessarily, but that there are real advantages to doing depositions remotely. Not just that that it cuts out travel, uh, but uh, as I think I mentioned this last week, as, as one as one person was telling me recently that when you're recording. Uh, uh, the the witness on Zoom, uh, you get they're they're staring at the camera and you see their eyes. If you're in a live deposition and you're recording that, then when you show them a document or something, they're looking down. And you don't see their reaction. Uh, so one of the one of the weird advantages of online depositions is just the witness has to look at the document on the screen, and so they're looking at the screen. Interesting. I just think it's. Yeah. I, I just think it's exciting because it's exciting. lawyers yeah. are using tech. I think it's, I mean, you, st you still hear about, um, I guess, as you said, Nikki, it must depend on, you know, for for cases where you don't really get that much benefit from really being in person. Like there's a lot of trial, you'll, you'll hear trial lawyers, you know, talk almost romantically about needing to, I, you know, see them in the eyeball, look them in the eyeballs and, you know, I've got a sixth sense and you know, all of this, like all of this sort of very, very sort of tactile, I have to be there in person. But for, and I think I still hear quite a lot of that. And I think that's one of the reasons, all the emotional stuff that stops them from liking some of the remote, but, but then just for procedural hearings where actually, it's, you know, it doesn't really serve any purpose to be there. Actually, I can see why this would be hugely exciting in terms of speeding it up and not having to everyone to go traveling in. And, you know, so from time and cost perspective makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, and I mean the same, I, I have the same um, thoughts about it except that then it gets really easy to just, you know, do really big types of cases and push them through um, where not everybody, it's, a, it's not in the best interest of everybody to do that. Uh, so I do have some concerns about kind of pressing forward without looking at whether, you know, low income populations are, are harmed more or, you know, if there's discrimination, if, you know, which is, you know, some, some of the data coming out is showing that um, there's more uh, um, disproportionate impact uh, 
um, on um, uh, black defendants if the criminal matters are handled remotely. Uh, so, you know, those are things that I think that we have to keep watching and, and make sure that we're accounting for and adjusting for. Um, yeah. So I'm, a I'm, I'm largely supportive of this movement and, and see a lot of benefits coming out and the judges are seeing that too, which is great. Um, but I, I kind of have that kind of cautionary approach <laughs> to, right. you know, let's, let's at least continue to review and study and make sure we're paying attention to the data. And I suppose, Molly, um, you know, there's all the other stuff as well as about, about um, does it make it more accessible? Is it less intimidating? I guess there's all sorts of studies that need to be done along, along aren't there? Like, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if anybody, I guess there must be people that are sort of already looking into this. I haven't heard about any studies, but um, I guess there's got to be someone crunching the data and working out. Is it, does it mean that I don't know, there must be so many different points that you can look at in terms of how is it, is it improving or making access to justice worse? Well, I think so, you know, like with Utah, what I thought was interesting, and I don't think we got to this story last week um, with their um, online dispute resolution platform. Um, was it, I, I can't remember which organization did, I think it was the University of Arizona. It was a, yeah. an a academic um, facility did a kind of a deep dive into Stacey Butler's group there. Yeah, yeah went, took a deep dive into studying the mm -hmm. platform from a consumer perspective and found lots of flaws. Uh, okay. And what I loved about that story, even though the headline was really sensational about all the weaknesses, is that Utah really, they identi Arizona identified the weaknesses and Utah seems to be at least very quickly responding and adjusting and, and um, improving the technology. So that, that's what I like to see more of so that, you know, these, so that um, these technologies and processes are being studied. I don't know that everybody's doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping they're working in studies into what they're doing instead of, oh, in five years, we'll see how it's going. <laughs> that's, that's where, you know, you institutionalize bias and um, it's really hard to walk that back. Yeah, those are great points. Um, Molly, I, I, did, we, I, did we cover everything you wanted to talk about? Was there anything else? You had listed some things, but I know we, we've kind of hit on a lot of the things you were, you were interested in talking about. Yeah, and one of mine was the, the death sentence by Zoom in Nigeria, um, and then another one oh, yeah. a few weeks later in Singapore. Uh, you know, those are the ones that not feeling like that's a really good <laughs> um, a really good case to be testing uh, remote technologies. But, you know, the, the yeah. Nigerian authorities are, are saying, you know, that's the, the best way to increase access. And they've already had, you know, wide adoption of Twitter and, um, and other aspects for, of um, social media to keep the public in the loop and informed about um, court appearances and things like that. But I, I, I'm not really thinking that uh, death sentences over Zoom is a, is a good idea right now. And his, his lawyer is appealing because he objected to it and they went ahead with the, the digital, uh, the virtual um, sentencing anyway. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Are they gonna do the death sentence virtually? Because in that case, you know, maybe that's a step forward. <laughs> if, they, if they're not gonna sentence them personally, maybe there won't actually be a you know, death sentence. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. I mean, it just seems like if you're gonna sentence someone to death, you ought to at least look them in the eye when you do it, like personally. That's a pretty drastic step and it's taking the humanity out of it for sure. 
So um, since we're on this topic, it just reminds me of a story I wrote today, which is not particularly tech related. Um, but we were talking about looking them in the eye for the death center. It, I just was taken to Judge Smales saying, um, sentence boys younger than you to the gas chamber, didn't want to do it, felt I owed it to them from Caddyshack. Um, because Bill Murray uh, has received a cease and desist letter. I don't know if anybody saw this uh, kicking around, but uh, the Doobie Brothers attorney sent Bill Murray a cease and desist letter. And if you haven't seen it yet, you should uh, seek it out because it's hilarious. Like that the lawyer did a masterful job of saying, you know what, I don't have to be serious in this. And so he writes this demand letter. It is a uh, high comedy and yeah, it, but it struck me since I had to write about it, I made all sorts of Caddyshack references. And that's what I thought of when somebody said, you have to look them in the eye. Um, but yeah, no, that not particularly tech, although, I mean, I guess it's, it's not legal tech, it's tech to the extent he's, uh, it's an intellectual property violation, but yeah. I'm gonna definitely look that up. Yeah, it's, it's a fun one. A lot of the legal writing- It's a writing good Friday Twitter, one. <laughs> yeah, legal writing Twitter yeah. went off on it yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah, one other story I thought was kind of interesting this week was just this uh, uh, Colin Lachance out of uh, Canada launched this thing called the Legal Innovation Data Institute this week, which is, kind of modeled on uh, the Harvard Law School's case law access project or, or the free law project of just sort of putting, you know, taking court data and, and cleaning it up and putting it in a consistent format and then kind of making it available for, for bulk downloads and bulk use as, as a way of kind of, uh, you know, spurring innovation and in, in delivery of legal information um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. I don't know that I understand fully how he, if it's just fully grant supported or I don't know if I asked this question or, or if they're, uh, trying to make money off of this selling the data, but, uh, it's always good to see these kinds of projects that are really focused on, on making this kind of data as, as widely available and, and available for, uh, you know, it, it just helps drive innovation in, in these areas. Um, anything else anybody want to talk about this week? All right. Well, before my, before my next, yeah. I was going to say along those same lines, I almost submitted this as something to talk about, but I didn't. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, I'll put this in the comments, but they sent a letter. It's about PACER. Um, they signed on to a letter to expand access, you know, get rid of the PACER paywall and expand access in terms of access to justice. And so it's just interesting to see that there are a lot of different um, areas of movement in that regard, it just, or attempts to move, <laughs> attempts to move the bar maybe. Um, but I just thought that that was relevant. It's, uh, you know, sort of relevant to that discussion, except on our side of the fence over in the US. Yeah, and, and we, uh, we, I think we talked last week about the fact that that bill moved forward, what did move out a committee, I think in, in Congress that would, uh, that would eliminate the, the, the PACER fees. Uh, so that's something. And there was uh, also kind of related this week, something I wrote about was this, uh, another another lawsuit between two legal tech companies. And this one relating the two companies that really focus on court docketing technology. This uh, courtalert.com has sued, uh, their New York-based company has sued American Legal Net, which is a California company, uh, claiming that they have basically 
built their whole company by by stealing uh, the trade secrets uh, of, of CourtAlert.com. Uh, but they seem in particularly to be pissed off about the fact that uh, uh, American Legal Net uh, hired one of their salespeople uh, just just this summer, and, and they claim that they went in and did a forensic analysis of of the uh, salesperson's uh, work computer laptop, and and found evidence that that salesperson had been downloading all sorts of proprietary data before he left and sending it off to American Legal Net, and that in fact the CEO of American Legal Net had written the guy's resignation letter for him or helped him draft his resignation letter. So I, I, who knows what to make of that one? Uh, I mean, of course, American Legal Net says it's uh, frivolous and, and they haven't actually answered the case yet, but it'll uh, uh, be another interesting one to follow. Uh, along it's, got with a the bit, it's got a bit of remnants of the old Ross Thompson Reuters. Right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, which is another interesting one that's still, still moving forward and another interesting one to follow, so. Yeah, these are what the these are ones where you want the popcorn emoji. Like just like, like what's going on? <laughs> I love exactly. those cases. You're like, huh? This will be a good one to watch, right? Like, what's going on over there? And that just seems like the sort of no holds barred, uh, no holds barred lawsuits. Like these, the people that are in it are getting mad and they're saying stuff that instead of biting their tongue, like their lawyers are probably advising them to do. So it's interesting to kind of you just want to sort of sit back and watch, <laughs> see what goes right. on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Well, Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, we will uh, be back here next week at uh, three Eastern time. Um, and uh, until then, everybody have a great weekend and uh, we'll see you, see you next time. Thanks, guys. Have a nice weekend. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a good Bye. weekend.